0: Hello, and welcome to How Many Geese. He's Jack Baddams. And he's Ruddy really Shaw. Sure, and if you're looking for a podcast about nature that doesn't take itself too seriously,
1: then we are the
0: natural selection. On today's episode, what would be the nicest extinct animal to eat? I mean, isn't the T Rex essentially a giant chicken? Here it is. Have you ever held an octopus? No. I have. What you're thinking, it's that. Yeah, okay. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My wisdom will overpower you all, for I alone am the Great Trout.
1: Are you up on your dead Ice Age bird news?
0: Uh, Still dead. Still dead. (laughs) Then I'm up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. So scientists uh, have discovered, well, they've not discovered, they were given it, an amazing, well-preserved bird that's about 46,000 years old that came out of the permafrost in Siberia. Mm -hmm. It's amazingly well preserved and it's got all its feathers on it and everything. It just looks like it's kind of gone to sleep. Sleeping, And they've identified it as a horned lark, but they were given it by a team of fossil ivory hunters. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit, is I want to talk about what's happening in the Siberian permafrost or in Siberia as people are... There's a bit of a gold rush happening in Siberia.
0: I mean, what's not happening in <laughs> Siberia, Jack?
1: Yeah, so this shouldn't really come as any surprise. <laughs> but there's a gold rush happening in Siberia where as the permafrost melts, it's revealing huge, a huge treasure trove of ice age remains because Siberia, although it's now covered in trees largely, back in the ice age it was a huge open grassland that was covered in, you know, herds of mammoths and bison and you know whatever was roaming around in the ice
0: age back in day back
1: back in day back in good old days when all this were fields and as those animals died and became buried the cold temperatures of the permafrost preserved them in pretty immaculate condition now as the permafrost thaws those bones are starting to be revealed and this is leading to local people taking up The job of tusking, they call it. You become a tusker. And you go in search of perfectly preserved mammoth ivory so that you can sell it to the Far East, mainly China. Mm. Most of it goes to China and Hong Kong. Classic. And can be carved into, you know, amazing things. And I've always found it really weird. I used to work in a museum or in a site that had a museum that sold Ice Age stuff because it was an Ice Age site. And they would sell mammoth teeth. And you could just buy a mammoth tooth for like 25 quid. And I always thought that was really weird. And to me, it still seems wrong. that I think we've had this discussion about uh. fossils. It seems wrong that you can just buy something that's that old. And the thought that you can go out and get a mammoth tusk and then just sell it to whoever. I'm still in the mode where all those belong in museums. But there's a big ethical question about whether this is actually the best sort of ivory we can get. mm mm-hmm whether it's going to lessen the demand for elephants to be killed for ivory mm-hmm. or whether it's just going to mean that there's more ivory more interest in ivory so that's
0: mm-hmm.
1: unknown but what is known is that they are bringing vast amounts of ivory out of the permafrost like they're finding loads and when we say they're going and looking for it we're not talking about it in the same way that an archaeologist would go and look for something They're using high-powered water pumps, which they basically wear as backpacks. So think like Ghostbusters style. They're wearing these huge generators that they put one end into a river, and the other end they point at like the river bank. Mm -hmm. And you power using the generator the water with such force that it starts to break open the river bank. And you can tunnel into the permafrost. And you can make tunnels that are
0: sometimes up to 60 meters long. This sounds like it will have lasting consequences.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) environmentally,
0: it's melting the
1: permafrost, releasing more methane. It's destroying huge (laughs) areas of habitat. Bits are collapsing and all sorts of horrible things are happening to the environment. But they're finding a lot of what they're after. And they can get a lot of money for it. A 65 kilogram tusk can be sold for about $34,000. A woolly rhino horn can be sold for about $14,000 for two and a half kilograms with Ooh. some of the Tuskers earning $100,000 in eight days' work. So, especially from some people in these remote areas of Siberia, although people are starting to come from kind of further afield as they realise it's quite lucrative. Yeah, how do you get in the game? No. <laughs> <laughs> some, I should say as well that some of this is regulated. Like, some permits are given out to some well-established kind of companies, but a lot of it's just happening, like, going out. Rogue. And, yeah, Rogue just going out and doing it. Tusk rush.
0: Is it guaranteed if you point a stick at Siberia, you'll hit a mammoth tusk no, or whatever? it's
1: not guaranteed. Hmm. There, there is. If you know where to look, there's a lot of it. But if me and you just rocked up in Siberia and started digging, we'd probably not come away with anything too spectacular. I reckon I could find a tusk. <laughs> but it's a proper <laughs> gold rush that's going on there. Because of the permafrost and the conditions, these things are coming out perfectly. With the ivory, with the horn, it's coming out in really perfect condition. But they're also finding all sorts of other stuff, which is just being tossed to the side. So you're talking like woolly rhino heads, and just, they've just they got no interest in them. As long as they've got the horn off, they're just leaving them. So there's huge like river banks which are piled full of cave lion bones, cave bears, all sorts of stuff. Because they're not they're only interested in the ivory. So scientists are losing their shit because all this amazing stuff's going to waste. But and they found... Why don't the scientists go and just get their heads? So some of them are starting to tag along.
0: There's a lot to unpack here, but there's an element of if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, definitely. Because this is like, going This is going down. Yeah.
1: And I think some of, the, some of the scientists are doing... So you can find mammoths with their fur on. These aren't animals that are... We're not talking about fossils. We're talking about frozen animals. And there's been baby cave lions that have been found that literally just look like they're sleeping there've been bison that have been found which just look like they're sleeping with all the skin on and all that kind of stuff you're talking about ice age animals that just look like they're asleep there's been like half woolly rhinos found that were scavenged by wolves or something in the past it's mental can you just go and do this the permits are given out by the government to certain companies which suggest you need a permit but to you do you can it. do
0: like fossil hunting holidays in dorset <laughs>
1: Yeah. I think if you turn up, if you turn up with a high-powered water jetpack and blasted it at like Chesil Beach—I don't even know if that's even possible—but <laughs> started eroding the hillside, someone might come and have a word. But
0: this is yeah, but question. Siberia, that's isn't it? So yeah.
1: <laughs> no one's going to come and have a word. I don't
0: know what the vibe is.
1: So they're finding now an awful lot of stuff, but the permafrost mammoths aren't a new thing. So the permafrost mammoths have been known about for hundreds of years yeah. from the people that have been in Siberia. And rewards used to be offered for carcasses, but many of them used to be kept secret due to superstition. There's one record of one being fed to dogs. There's like all the meats on them. People have eaten them as well. Whoa. So I saw a, it was a Channel 4 documentary a few years ago where they got this amazing frozen mammoth. They dug it out of the ice and this scientist takes a bite out of it and goes, I'm probably the first person to eat mammoth in 20,000 years or whatever. So that's how well-preserved we're talking.
0: You'd want to slow-cook it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's thousands of years in the ice. That's going to be leathery. What would be the nicest extinct animal to eat? Mmm. I mean, isn't the T. T-Rex essentially a giant chicken?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, all kind of two-legged theropod dinosaurs. But do we think they're going to be gamey? It probably tastes more like
0: ostrich. Mmm. Which, are a bad thing. No, I think I've had that. I reckon T-Rex. I T-rex, like T-Rex, great shout. And also, in the endless battle of breast or leg, I much prefer chicken leg and a T-Rex oh. has a whole... You're not getting any breast on a T-Rex. <laughs> That's a big leg. That's all drumstick. <laughs> the size of it. I'd like see the kernel cover that in breadcrumbs. And exactly. <laughs> yes. Chuck your herbs and spices
1: at that. So, a couple of notable specimens that have been brought out the ice in Siberia of mammoths. Uh, So in 2002, there was one that was recovered during three excavations, which was an adult male, which is estimated to have been about 18,560 years old and have been about just over nine foot tall at the shoulder. Big old mammoth, weighing in at about four to five tonnes, and is one of the best preserved mammoths ever found. And it had an almost complete head covered in skin, but it didn't have its trunk. In 2012, a juvenile was found in Siberia. This is really cool. It had man-made cut marks on it. Now, scientists estimated its age of death to be about... two and a half years old and its skull and pelvis had been removed prior to discovery but were found nearby. So I love how you can like piece together. I thought you meant nearby like London
0: for a minute. Oh, just the way it was found nearby. I was like, I thought we were in Siberia,
1: up the road. (laughs) They found one half of it in Siberia and the other half on the Thames. Yeah, so Chiswick. (laughs) And the whole what killed the mammoths is still a big debate. Climate change probably played a large part because the climate has changed quite a lot since the Ice Age, although other people argue that areas of Siberia today would still be fine. mammoths if it wasn't for human hunting pressure and the fact we got a lot better at hunting them so human evidence with mammoth is pretty cool a year later a well-preserved carcass was found in one of the new siberian islands archipelago which was a female between 50 and 60 years old at the time of death the carcass contained well-preserved muscular tissue when it was extracted from the ice liquid blood spilled from the abdominal cavity that's mad so those three specimens that I've mentioned and more that I haven't mentioned, they're so well preserved that they contain soft tissue, blood, and whatever else you might need to get DNA. This has led to the conversation about whether we can bring back the mammoth. The question is, how would you do it? There are a couple of ways you can do it. One is cloning. We're really good at cloning now. We, can cl- you know, we cloned Dolly the sheep ages ago, but now they're cloning all sorts of stuff we don't even hear about because it's so commonplace. Mice are being cloned regularly. Frogs are being cloned regularly.
0: Tom Cruise, probably.
1: All, all of our kind of study <laughs> organisms, Tom Cruise included, <laughs> are, being, are being cloned a, on a regular basis. So what you'd have to do for a mammoth is you'd have to take the egg cell of a living female Asian elephant, probably, because they're their closest living relative, and strip out the nucleus, which is Mm -hmm. where the DNA lives, which is everything that makes it an Asian elephant. Mm -hmm. So that would just leave you with a blank elephant-sized egg cell. And then you could take the nucleus from a frozen mammoth tissue, stick it into that egg cell, stick that into an Asian elephant, which would theoretically get pregnant with and give birth to a woolly mammoth. Now, the problem is nobody's yet found a viable mammoth cell. Although we've been able to piece together the DNA... There isn't any complete cells that you could strip out and replace like for like. We also don't know what would happen if you took an Asian elephant and made it pregnant with a mammoth. How big's that mammoth going to grow? They reckon that mammoths probably develop for two years inside the mother. Whereas an Asian elephant doesn't hold on to its young for that long. I think it's about 18. What about African? I think they go for Asian because it's genetically the closest.
0: Yeah, egg... But couldn't you then the implant egg. the egg? I don't
1: know. In an African... Like the, the three-species trifecta. <laughs> the,
0: the, the classic elephant move yeah. <laughs> in chess.
1: <laughs> but interestingly, along those kind of similar notes of cloning, the juvenile that was found in t- Siberia in 2012, in 2019, a group of researchers managed to obtain signs of biological activity after transferring some nuclei of that mammoth into mouse oocytes, mouse egg cells.
0: Hang on, wait. If we're worried about what happens if we put it in an elephant, it's fucking chaos if we're putting it in a mouse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I should say this wasn't actually put in the mouse, this was in a petri dish. But, I mean, a mammoth in a petri dish is also raising questions. So, uh, the cloning of a mammoth, although it seems to be taking steps forward, is probably a long way off. There are a couple of other projects that are looking at gene editing, because the mammoth genome sequence has been published for about five years, I think, now. So we know the code of what it takes to make a mammoth based on all the, G- uh, all the DNA we've been able to get from these frozen mammoth specimens. That is bonkers. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So what you would do now is now we know what it takes to make a mammoth, you would get the genetic code of the elephant, and you would just start editing them and swapping them over. And what you're trying to do is genetic modification. Mm. You're trying to take an Asian elephant, and you're trying to go, what well, it needs more hair.
0: You're going to rewrite it into it a needs, mammoth, yeah,
1: and it's, and it needs X. So there's a there's a chat there's a Harvard scientist called George Church, and by March 2015, so five years ago, his team had got some woolly mammoth genes edited into the genome of an Asian elephant, and they were mainly focusing on cold resistance, so things like uh, subcutaneous fat. Had their haemoglobin reacts to cold, giving them extra hair, um, and ear size as well, because mammoths had small ears
0: mm-hmm.
1: to stop them from getting too cold. Classic cold place exactly. adaptation Reduce move their there. extremities, yeah. Yep. So by t- February 2017, Church's team had made 45 substitutions to the elephant genome. So far, his work is focusing solely on single cells, so that this is not in any animal, but they're just messing around in single cells and putting the genes in and seeing what happens. But the ev- their aim is eventually to grow an embryo to the point of birth in an artificial womb. So they're not proposing putting it into an Asian elephant. They want to build an artificial womb that will give birth to this Asian elephant-mammoth hybrid that they want to get to a stage that you look at it and you can't tell the difference. It looks exactly like a mammoth, but it's this weird kind of elephant-franken mammoth.
0: We're really getting into... So the question is why? Like,
1: why would you want to do this? And I I disagree with the whole gene editing thing. I think if you could clone one and you could do it safely, then why not? Like, to be honest, I'm all for if we can do it and it's not harming anything, let's just do it Mm -hmm. and see what happens. And if you could bring back what is actually a pure mammoth, let's do it. It has got places to live. Siberia. A mammoth could live quite happily there at the moment. Maybe not in 50 years' time, given the way climate change is going. But a mammoth could live quite happily there. But this whole gene editing thing, it's not even bringing back the mammoth. It's just cheating.
0: But do we have Tasmanian tiger DNA? Yeah,
1: I don't know how well preserved they are because they're generally stuffed. The great thing about the mammoths is that they've been frozen.
0: I thought we had some in, like, tubes and things. You know, the- Yeah, yeah. It could well
1: be. And Tasmanian tiger, when you look into de-extinction, the Tasmanian tiger is one that's often cited. But
0: until we can build artificial wombs that can carry something through until... I thought we'd done uh, that. In the last few years, I thought that had happened with a lamb. Or maybe they started it in a um, real sheep and then finished it in a lamb, which makes it... Because surely the hardest bit is the... I mean, basically, a neonatal ICU unit is a ICU. You don't have to say unit again. (laughs) That's basically an artificial womb. But I suppose it's the implantation. It's the uh, early stuff which is the tricky bit. Yeah.
1: But if you could do that, yeah, then Tasmanian tiger is definitely on the cards. Things like woolly rhino as well. Like the woolly rhino is another in that mammoth vein that you find so many well preserved ones.
0: Yeah, I mean the ice age stuff is easy. Surely the harder things are the things which have gone recently where nothing's in ice yeah. and humans ate them all and really old where it's just the bones turned to stone. Yeah, so the, things like the passenger pigeon, the dodo, and the thylacine. Well, we
1: have done. There was the Pyrenean ibex, which is a species of mountain goat that lives in the Pyrenees, and the last one died in I want to say early two thousands. A female. They fenced off this whole reserve to kind of protect her, and then the last female was killed by a falling tree, which is brilliant. But before before she died, they'd taken DNA samples from her. And they took that DNA, implanted it into a a goat egg cell, stuck (laughs) that into a goat, and the goat gave birth to a Pyrenean ibex. It was about five, six, seven years after the last one had gone extinct. It became the first ever animal to become classified as de-extinct. It only lived for about seven seconds and then it died of a lung collapse. But Pyrenean ibex is officially the first ever animal that we know went extinct. It's not like you've rediscovered a species that we thought was extinct. It's that we know it died... And then we brought it back, even just for a fleeting moment.
0: But do we know if the lung collapse is connected to it being an abomination? <laughs> it was just God. Yeah, God. Okay. thou shalt not. Thou like, shalt not de-extinct. You I- had ex. it.
1: Like I gave it you the first time. Yeah, yeah. You broke it. I'm not. This is not yeah. how it works. So th- there is potential to bring back other species too. It's worth saying that George Church, who's behind turning an Asian elephant into a mammoth, he's the cheat everything. book. Cheat codes. He's a cheat code man. He's he's a bit of a mad scientist. In 2013, he gave a controversial interview where he suggested that an adventurous woman may one day prove to be the surrogate mother of a clone Neanderthal, because we've got the Neanderthal genome sequenced.
0: Ooh. So theoretically... But that's a, that, that is... That's the a thing.
1: Theoretically, if we found a Neanderthal locked in the ice and it had good enough nuclei or whatever, we know that our species, Homo sapiens can do the and Neanderthals, hand. bred together because unless you're of pure African descent, you've got a bit of Neanderthal mixed in with you. Oh. So we know that hybrids <sighs> happened. Should we bring them back? I mean, the answer is, of course, no. You know, We can't even live happily with people with different skin colours, never mind a, a different species. But that is a question that one day could be posed in the future. That, you'd have to bring back like a team of them, though. You couldn't just have one Neanderthal. Although, I don't know, because if you raised the most fascinating point of the Ice Age for me when I think about it, is that period where Homo sapiens and Neanderthals met each other. And we know that they met for numerous reasons, but one, because we've got their DNA. So we know that they not only met, they got on
0: quite well in some (laughs) cases. In some
1: occasions.
0: But I mean, as well as it got on, it famously went to shit because they're not here. So you know, (laughs) That's
1: true, yeah. And we don't know whether the matings were (laughs) consensual, let's say, on either side, I suppose.
0: I don't know if that even existed.
1: I I think so. I think, yeah, I think so.
0: I don't know what I meant by that statement. Were we wild animals or were we people? No, we were people. Okay. Yeah, they were
1: ex- exactly the same. In the Ice Age, the best way to think about Homo sapiens was more like how kind of tribes are living in Africa. Kalahari and, 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 and stuff. And were living in, like, Native America yeah, before we yeah. turned up. And So it would have been pretty similar. But the Neanderthals, theoretically, you could have had Neanderthals and Homo sapiens mixing together and maybe you'd got a Neanderthal that was in a Homo sapien tribe or the opposite way around. So I don't know whether you necessarily have to bring a group of them back, but even if you bring a group of them back, they're just going to be
0: stared at and it's a science experiment. It's the, the modern Frankenstein god scientist version of... Have you heard of Otto Benga or... Otter Benga. He was a Congolese pygmy who was, like, kidnapped from his tribe and put... Well, I mean, I'm painting with broad brushstrokes. I am guessing from what I remember he was kidnapped from his tribe and put on display in, like, the Bronx Zoo in New York. In, like... Well, I'm actually going to double-check when it was, but... Not long enough ago. Yeah. I was going to say to make it okay, but it was never okay. A human zoo exhibit in 1906. So... God. How old's the oldest person? 117... Within the lifespan of humans on Earth, we had a human zoo exhibit. Yeah. And this... I that's what would happen
1: with the Neanderthals. <laughs> that's... that's well, it wouldn't be quite that, but it would obviously just be science, scientists
0: probing and... Yeah. Don't like that. Bring back the mammoth. Cool. Bring back Neanderthal. Not cool. No. We screwed him over once. We don't need to do it again. Yeah.
1: Okay, it's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by Sarah Milton. Hi, Sarah. And is the octopus. Oh. So, I could have gone for a giant Pacific octopus here, the ones that have got an arm span of sort of 4.3 metres and have actually been recorded fighting with divers. But instead... Terrifying. I went for a species that might be a little bit close to people's hearts following the Netflix documentary, My Octopus Teacher.
0: I haven't seen it yet. I don't know
1: if you've seen this, but it's it's, good things. Yeah, it's really, really nice. And it's all about a common octopus. It's about a chap who really gets to know a common octopus over, I think, the course of a year or so. uh, And really sort of is able to film its life really, really intimately because it gets to know him and allows him to come really, really close and follow what it's doing, basically. But the common octopus grows to around 25 centimetres body length with arms up to a metre long can weigh nine kilograms. Those tentacles are obviously the key weapon that we're talking about here, which they use to catch their prey, generally crustaceans, and bring them towards their hard beak in the middle to crunch up. They're highly intelligent, and we're learning more and more about them all the time. An individual common octopus has got about 500 million neurons in its body, which is almost the same as dogs. They can change their color and body form to match their background, and even have got venom, to help subdue their prey. In the 1960s, here's a little aside, divers would willingly grapple octopuses in octopus wrestling, a then popular sport in the coastal United States. I don't know if that in any way will play into your thinking. Anyway, Roddy Shaw, when it comes to your own wrestling with octopuses, how many common octopi are too many
0: common octopi? So one thing I want to work out here is, do, I mean, it has to be in some level of water. Yes because we need to keep things fair. They can travel over land, but it's not a really it's it not much of a fight that
1: is it. It's not a fair fight, is it? But they don't need much water. Don't need much water. Their venom you mentioned. Yeah, which is not at all sort of lethal to humans on a common octopus. Like, there are things like blue ringed octopus which
0: when when you said I could have done the Atlantic giant octopus, yeah. but I went for the much smaller. I was like don't say blue <laughs> <ring>. don't, <laughs> no, say, blue ring. don't did, say blue. I did I did think about
1: that, but it would have been a very short
0: fight. Yeah. For those who don't know, it's like one bite and you're dead. Yeah. And where does it live? Australia. Nature's Thunderdome. (laughs) So, they're probably going to, like, smother me. Have you ever held an octopus? No. I have. Oh. Their tentacle, really weird. I Really, really, what you're thinking, (laughs) it's that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then then when you peel it, it's like... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all
1: the individual sort of suction cups have... A proper, and they just sort of flail and then grip and wrap. I can't them. imagine. Like, I just think it'd be like fighting a physical version of sort of you know water. Yeah. Like, how do you sort of grab it and maneuver? Well, it? exactly.
0: You're dealing with something that's no. But this is the first invertebrate.
1: Is is this the first invertebrate?
0: Yes. Okay. Um. So we've got gwibbly gwibbly jelly arms. Mm. You can't really break anything. So how do you beat one? How do you beach? Because here? because they
1: well yeah I. Don't know how you beat an octopus because they the Conf- uh, the only hard thing is the beak. And we, you may have seen, you can find on YouTube, amazing videos of octopuses squeezing through tiny little mm, gaps. So as long mm. as their beak, their hard beak, which is in the middle of their body, can squeeze through a gap, you can. So I don't think you can kind of punch an octopus.
0: And how do they beat me? It's not like a thing... You know, like one bite to the neck, and it's yeah. kind of a, a smothering. Smothering. I think they could bite you enough that. It Death by a thousand. A cuts. lot of
1: them. You know, if they've all got a little bit of venom, how much of that does it take to uh, subdue a Roddy Shaw?
0: Where's the fastest tide in the world? We're in a rock pool. Yep. And the octopi are like, water yeah. world, and then yeah. really, really quickly, uh, tide goes surprise, out. Surprise, bitch! <laughs> exactly, it's dry time. <laughs> okay, that's what yeah. I'm wondering. Some kind of that situation, or what else is like that? Like a salt lake that dries out? No, I don't want that. Then I'm salty. Or are you gonna be in the? Oh, why if I just formed in like next to a tapas restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> Bit bit of psychology there. Yeah. Here you yeah. go. Calamari. <laughs> calamariu. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, calamari. You. <calamariu. laughs> and they're up to... Each tentacle's up to a metre. So they're... Because if you, if you held it by the head, it's like a metre long. its up to a metre long. Span... Weigh nine spun kilos. Spun it out. That means that it'd cross two metres. So either very fast tide place which has to exist somewhere, yep. but I don't know where, but it must do, or near a restaurant of some kind. Mm. I imagine swinging them would be <laughs> something. Use them as like a bolus. Yeah. That, is, that, is that the word? Yeah. I just don't know how you beat them. Like you said, maybe I'd have to put each one in a jar. No, they can get out of jars. Yeah, they can screw the jar. So you can't trap them. God, this is weird. It's like fighting clever jelly. <laughs> <laughs> Because you can't really, like, if the water goes out,
1: as long as, depending on how far the water's gone and if you've got little pockets of water around, they'll just get out and crawl across the land until they find it again. Because I was thinking, well, maybe you could dry them out.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about drying them out, and then I thought, "Mm." So it's how many to take until they can smother me Tentacally. Maybe I'm very, maybe, right, I know. A seaside pub... Okay, smoking area. Yeah. In winter right. with those outdoor heaters. Okay. The reason being is that being tall, yeah, my head is going to be very near the heaters. Right. They're going to have to climb up me. They're not going to want that. We've established it's a smothering situation. Yeah. yeah. If I can withstand my head, it's how long I can take the heat <laughs> <laughs> of my head near the heater. Yeah. And the moment I fall down, game over You're seaside smarter. they're all there yeah. Pff, yeah climbing up the pier whatever so and that the the heat being pummeled onto my head is what's keeping them off me right okay yeah 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 got you so it's similar almost to the pangolins where it's like if they can pull me down it's game over because i don't understand how you beat them you can't trap them you can't yeah. break them you can't snap them no you can't they're just angry jelly yeah <laughs> so, sentient angry jelly yeah So how many? They each got meter long, nine kilos. So ten is ninety kilos, which is about what I am. So every ten octopus is an angry jelly version of me. Yeah. With eight limbs. With eight. So now we're an eighty-limbed angry jelly version of me. (laughs) As I've said that sentence,
1: (laughs) you've drastically (laughs)
0: reduced the amount of (laughs) octopuses. I was at. I don't know, 20 and then I did the maths on that that would be two of me with 160 arms that can't be contained no i think 10 just yeah. in a pound for pound sense one of me versus one of me made of octopus under a heat lamp just to keep them a bit lower yeah and what it is is it's some kind of survive the night issue right and in the morning for whatever reason like a chef arrives and he right. takes me away, <laughs> right. right? So I have to get through the night yeah. keeping these 10 octopus off me, yeah, keeping Lock my head near the hot thing that so at sunrise... That the guy who owns the pub. The calamari merchant <laughs> arrives. I've been locked. I've been locked in the pub smoking area right. over the weekend. Right. With the heat thing full on the octopus are crawling up the pier to get to me yeah there's 10 of which them which they famously do all the time <laughs> which they famously do all the time there's 10 of them i have to hold them off right. till sunrise till the calamari merchant arrives and he has whatever octopus weapon whatever what wh- do they use hey what is that if I, the military got hold of that this is what i'm getting whatever godforsaken arm of war humanity has had to invent in order to kill an octopus that's what he uses as a calamari <laughs> merchant he then dispatches dispatches them 10 10 so tobias schluser
1: has written in and wants to know if you had to decide which animal was going to be dictator of great britain which would you choose
0: Great question. It's a good one. Isn't it? it is good, Tobias. First, let's get some rules out there. Does it have to be a British animal? Uh, I don't think
1: so. Our royal family are basically German, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm ah, not sure. Biting political. <laughs> I'm not sure that's uh, a hard and fast rule. I think we can go. I think we can we can open it out because we could say let's just say the dictator of whichever country you live in. You know, dictator, the world leader.
0: Okay, and we've got the word dictator being thrown around. Which makes you think
1: it has to be sort of a malevolent animal to want to be a dictator. But then if we're choosing it, we're going to want it to be a favourable thing. Right.
0: Yeah. Dictator plus animal kingdom Mm -hmm. equals insects. Always. Oh, in terms of they actually have them. Like colonies why one leader queen, yeah you know all of that so there's that but like a beaver isn't mm-hmm. going to make a good dictator no i think it's just going to be stopping all the rivers <laughs> that's going to be its that's all they do that's its platform damn everything damn you all to hell um <laughs>
1: that's the beaver
0: motto yeah yeah <laughs> um,
1: so i think a, a queen ant or a queen bee or whatever If they could get their population working together half as efficiently as the population, uh, as their actual colonies, Mm. they'd be a great dictator. How efficient, how much better society would be if we all worked together as much as ants did? So we talk...
0: Okay, there's a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) So we... The positive outcome on this is the, is from a country perspective, not an individual rights perspective. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm now not allowed to have children or, you know. But we're saying the country will be better. But,
1: but for societal benefit, mm. I think we'd, we'd do well out of a queen ant.
0: What if we just really went rogue with it and yeah. had, like, a trout? <laughs> just a, what, do you, what do you think a trout's policies would be? I don't know. More... <laughs>
1: Pond weed. Less fishing. <laughs> yeah. uh, first thing, abolish fishermen.
0: More rain. <laughs> uh, the
1: trout with a bloody pro-river policy.
0: I know. You know, some kind of parliament where you'd trout on one side and beavers on the other. <laughs> Addressing the nation like from their little tank. Yeah. Blip, blip, In blip. Downing Street. But I also like to th- think that on the one hand this question asks for the animal to be anthropomorphized. Yeah. And given, you know, like it's gonna have human traits and all the rest, versus, you know, like when the World Cup comes around and there's some aquarium which has an octopus that like picks the winner. Yeah. Like if it was that kind of setup where we literally just had a trout in a tank. <laughs> and and whichever
1: it, it swam towards. Yeah, if it swam
0: it? left one day, then we killed everyone over the age of thirty or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like that's the level of <laughs> <laughs> the trout shall decide. Yeah. Your fate. <laughs> lies with the trout. Yeah, your case will be heard by the great <laughs> trout.
1: <laughs> um, okay, what else we got? I think an octopus would be an interesting... Now you mention octopus. I only lived for about two years. Mm,
0: so brief... Short-term. Short-term <laughs> policies. Yeah, you're not getting investment in, like, long-term infrastructure. <laughs> you know. So maybe that's it. Mm. Maybe you want a tortoise because it's going to live. it's it's
1: living the long game yeah 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 because with the politicians we sort of have to elect and all that rubbish um it's only like what is it five years in the uk so they're only ever thinking five years in the future and Mm. wanting to get re-elected a tortoise as a dictator is thinking where's my country going to be in 100 years time because i'm going to still be dealing with that shit so I best make sure I got it right. Why don't, we
0: even talk, why don't we just elect a great tree? Yeah, a wizened old oak. I don't know <laughs> administratively <laughs> how this would play out. I haven't quite worked out the mechanics of this government system. Imagine world leaders coming over to meet <laughs> Council of the Ents. <laughs> um, coming over to
1: meet. Yeah, Angela Merkel coming over and meeting. Oh, this is this is the oak tree that we'll be dealing with foreign policy. The cabinet is. The ca- this is the birch. Yeah, the chancellor. I, I like long-term vision. I think long-term vision is long-term policies.
0: Are we saying
1: all countries have dictators? Have, no, have it, animals. Well, I mean, the question here is, which animal would you want to be dictator of Great Britain? So I think we have to assume that the rest of the countries have their current leaders, <laughs> i.e. Joe Biden, i.e. Angela Merkel, etc., meeting with
0: the tortoise. The great stoat. <laughs> okay, visually, if we're thinking like UN, yeah. and all these other world leaders, and then in through the door comes, whoever's running Britain, yeah. a big, like a big red stag. Oh. With the antlers, yeah. just because they sort of mm. strut with their walk with this huge head of antlers, yeah, massive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it would look, yeah, it would look impressive. It would look good
1: printed on the back of the coins. Yeah. As well. Yeah, right. Because if if we've got a dictator, I imagine the Queen's going... Yep. They're overthrowing that. She's out. She's gone. We're replacing
0: you with a deer. <laughs> We're
1: replacing you with a deer.
0: From one of your estates. Yeah. yeah. From Balmoral. Yeah. Deer Could, stag's a good one. Because I'm just thinking versus as wise mm-hmm. as the trout may be. Mm, and it is wise. And it is wise. Let us not...
1: <laughs> Let us not cast aspersions on the trout just in case he's listening.
0: Yeah. Again, if we go back to this kind of UN thing and all the world leaders are there. Yeah. And now introducing... Here from Great Britain, the great trout, and just in on one of those, tr- you know, like when all you, you know when you're on you, a catering trolley. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, you know, when your when your teacher was hungover and they'd wheel in a TV. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say that because I used to be a teacher. So that's definitely what. <laughs> that's definitely what that vibe was. And they're just wheeling that, and it's a tank and a trout, and you've got all these dignitaries and diplomats with their like translators suddenly rattling off, you know, je sais pas, qu'est-ce que c'est, you know. It's Trout. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like the
1: idea that the trout just sits there in the tank, and then all of a sudden, within all of their heads, there's this like deep booming voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It just speaks to them all on a sort of ethereal level. I come from
0: the great lake. My wisdom will overpower you all, for I alone am the great trout. suddenly, you know, peace in the Middle East overnight <laughs> Palestine and Israel join hands, shaking in terror at this
1: <laughs> Oh, It's the best thing to happen to the world
0: You mammals have walked the earth for too long <laughs> Just puts fishermen to work in its little trotty <laughs> mines. <laughs> yeah. Now the pond <laughs> shall rule the earth <laughs> dignitaries made up of just frogs. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I can guarantee... Tobias, I can guarantee that this is not where you saw this question (laughs) going. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode of How Many Geese? We hope you enjoyed it. We're having an absolutely great time making it and we really appreciate everyone listening, uh, the people that have written in with animals for us to fire and questions. Um, please do keep listening, keep engaging, keep sharing uh, and keep doing all the stuff you know that helps us
0: podcasts out. We really appreciate it. It's 100% true, the kind of stuff you hear, that word of mouth is so useful. So do let anyone know you think might be interested. Um, and as Jack said, we really appreciated it. So give us both a follow. I'm at slideshowrod on Instagram, and I'm at Jab Adams, J A Adams, and we hope you tune in next week. Thank you. Bye.